Hello friends, this is Anna with Identity-Based Nutrition, and welcome to my podcast, Health for Your Truest Self. In this podcast, I share my insights, answer questions, and host interviews about physical, spiritual, and emotional health. By listening to this podcast, you agree to the disclaimer located at identitybasednutrition.com forward slash disclaimer and agree to take full responsibility for your health and well-being. Thank you and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is the first season of my podcast, Health for Your Truest Self. And for this first season, you're going to be hearing interviews with different health practitioners here in the Lubbock area which I'm super excited about because there are so many wonderful opportunities right here in Lubbock of people who have um, so many gifts to offer. And uh, that's my goal is to really bring that awareness to you so that you can um, you can take advantage of these opportunities. So um, today, you know, there's so there's so many elements um, to being able to experience physical health. But the one that I would venture to say is the most overlooked is the role that emotions play in our health. And, you know, when we think of health, we think of diet and exercise, and, um, and that's great, but there's so much more to it than that. And so today that's what we're going to talk about. And I'm really excited to interview Sarah Stone, and she is a licensed professional counselor, and she has special training in a modality called EMDR. And um, she's so many gifts, but we're going to talk about some specific ones today. So welcome, Sarah. Hello. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm great. It's good. It's good Friday. Nice and sunny. Yeah. So, so excited to have you here. And um, I've, you know, for those of you out there, I've known Sarah for a little while now, um, and I was impressed with her from the, the minute that I met her i was i was at a just an event and we started talking and and uh, she just has a whole lot to offer so i'm excited to to dive in so sarah can you just give us an overview of what you do sure um as a professional counselor i work with primarily individuals but also some couples and a little bit of family work to dig into what's going on with people emotionally and in their communication and relationships. And for me personally, my approach is to really focus on just the emotion part. You can do a lot with thinking about your issues and logically and analytically working through them And those are some really powerful tools, but they tend to ignore the deeper emotional woundings. And so I am working to gather tools, including EMDR, that allows me to help clients kind of bypass that analytical side and really dig into the emotional heart of issues and the history of how those issues came to be in the first place. Hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. I have so many questions already, but tell us a little bit about how you discovered this work that you're doing or or how I discovered you. (laughs) Well, there may be a little question there. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which came first, right? Um, Right. Counseling as a profession. Yeah, uh, kind of late. I started off life as a uh, graphic artist, and then I was a nanny for a while. But I've always had this really deep fascination with what makes the heart tick and personality and and why we do the things we do. What are those motivations? And so after years of thinking about it, I finally went back to graduate school in my late 30s and got my master's degree in counseling. And somewhere along the way in reading research papers, I came across information about this modality, EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Retraining. And that name speaks to one tiny little piece of it, which is about stimulating both sides of your brain using eye movements. But what I loved about it is the way that it really focuses on the emotions. And I was so excited about it that I immediately started looking for training and discovered that both it's kind of expensive and it usually doesn't happen here. (laughs) And Mm. I was so excited about it that I um, actually brought trainers here to Lubbock and I worked with a nonprofit here in Lubbock and I I brought it here. And through my efforts, um, we were able to come, 10 people went through full training here in this area. And and I did that totally selfishly because I wanted it. <laughs> um, oh, that's fantastic. And I it almost every day in my practice since then. Um, and part of the reason I was so convinced is that in the training, I experienced as a client the power of EMDR and was just blown away. So that's that's how I got there with it. That's fantastic. So how does EMDR actually work? What's, uh, can you give us a little bit more of um, maybe the science behind it or the function, just how it, how it works? Yeah. Well, let me just first kind of give an overview. It is, as I said, the name focuses on one tiny little aspect of it, but it's really an entire approach to counseling. And the underlying theory is adaptive information processing. And the idea is that the brain and the emotions are really very, very capable of processing a lot of complex data. But when things come in too fast or they're so completely overwhelming, as in a traumatic situation, sometimes things get stuck and they almost get kind of walled off, for lack of a better phrase, and they stay active. And when I use the word trauma, I'm talking about a spectrum. We tend to think of trauma as being things like car accidents or being in battle or rape or some kind of battery, and those are definitely capital T traumas. One of the things about this approach, though, that I think is brilliant is that it acknowledges that we have small traumas in our lives. Um, Something as simple as you're four years old and you're trying to help your mom put dishes in the dishwasher and you break a dish 
and maybe your mom had a bad day and she yells at you and tells you, oh, my God, you're so clumsy. Get out of here. You're, you're not helping. Well, that's not like being in battle. But for that four-year-old child, it kind of feels like a kick in the gut. And so there is some trauma involved. And it begins to form ideas in the child's head about who they are and about what the world is about. And those ideas will shape their experience of the world. And so what we do in EMDR is we look at what are the memories that stand out that are continuing to be traumatic and what are the ideas and the beliefs that we hold. And those can be really basic, something as simple as the world is not safe. I'm not safe in the world. And your logical mind can tell you that's not true. I've got a house. I've got a car. I have a job. You know, nobody's out to get me. But the emotional truth may still be I'm not safe. And how do you unwind that? Because it's so illogical. And so this gives you a tool to do that. So we look at that. We look at the the body, how the body reacts to those thoughts and the thoughts and the emotions. And then once we've identified a starting place, that's when we employ the eye movement part. Or it could be something like tapping on the knees. The idea is that you have some kind of bilateral stimulation, that you stimulate the left side, right side, left side, right side. And that seems to trigger a reprocessing of information which releases the emotional power of a memory, allows the brain to kind of examine it from a different point of view and file it away where maybe they didn't have a place to file it before. So it's kind of a long explanation, but hopefully it made some sense. That's perfect, yes. And um, I want to comment a little bit on what you said about the little traumas sometimes being the the most um, subtly charged in our life, kind of pointing, directing our entire life in one direction and we're not even aware of it. Because I think that was Mm -hmm. what I was most surprised about whenever I first began doing the inner work process, both with you and then some of the stuff I had done previously. It wasn't the big stuff that I expected necessarily. It was these little traumas that, created these beliefs that I had that were so familiar to me that I had no idea were actually um, affecting my entire life. Exactly, exactly. We tend, because we tend to stay so much in our logical minds, we look at things like that and we tend to sort of shrug them off because logically it doesn't make sense. And more and more as I do this work, I'm more and more deeply fascinated by that disconnect between what our logical mind knows and what our emotion mind knows. And those things very often don't match. And so we have to give ourselves the space and the grace to acknowledge the reality and the truth of the emotional part. And I think that's really important because it affects our minds, it affects our emotions, it affects our bodies in incredibly deep ways. 
and it's a kind of a missing piece in a lot of modern psychotherapy. Yeah, what helped me a whole lot was realizing that the conscious mind processes, you know, our rationali- rationalizing thinking mind processes about 40 bits per second, and then the subconscious mind processes at over 40 million bits per second. And when I heard mm-hmm. that, I realized, oh, my goodness, no wonder there's like an inner war going on inside. One part of me saying, oh, you you, you know, you're okay, you're fine, you're not worthless, you know better than that. And the other part of me, the deeper emotional part, um, having much a much stronger voice and impacting me much more than I thought. Exactly, exactly. And and I want to say something, too, about those small traumas. It isn't typically a single event that creates those deep internal beliefs and messages. What we find that happens is that there will be something that happens very often really, really early, um, you know, thinking about the kid dropping the dish. It may have been that, when the kid was learning to walk at a, you know a year to 18 months and would fall that maybe somebody made a comment about oh you're clumsy which was not meant in any kind of ugly way but the kid hears it and kind of stores it away and then a few months later something else happens maybe something gets dropped or bumped over and something else is said oh you're not very careful you're kind of clumsy and it's sort of like like having a string with beads and each time one of those events occurs a little bead gets added to the string and over time you get enough beads and then there'll be an event that kind of solidifies all of that up until that point it's just this vague idea and then something happens that crystallizes it brings it more into a deeper awareness, and bam, you've got this deeply rooted, deeply seated belief. So part of the process of EMDR is also identifying that string and then being able to pull out those memories and and unstack the beads so you can deactivate that thread. That's a great visual picture. Um, so, Sarah, do you do you feel like you ha- people have to remember all the specific memories in their past in order to release the emotional charge from that memory? Absolutely not. In fact, um, the, in research that's been done through the VA and other organizations, one of the strengths of EMDR is that you don't have to do that. Other approaches to trauma focus on reliving every moment in detail and in this you don't um you you kind of focus in more on just sort of the key image of of an event and you put yourself in it so your body is aware of how it responded but you don't have to know all of the deep gory details of what happened in order to address the emotion and and what the body has stored away in response. Mm, So good. I think that's a fear that I hear from many people is that they're really afraid of going back and, you know, digging up the past or like, oh, it's not really necessary and I I can't even remember anyway. And what would you say to someone who has that, um, 
that mindset or those fears around, you know, digging up the past or that they have to really remember everything in order to, and if they don't really have good memory yeah. that they can't do this process. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, first of all, I would acknowledge and validate that feeling. I think it's a really important point to consider. If you're in a therapy that does ask you to do that, you can kind of cause yourself an additional layer of trauma by having to go back and remember things in detail. And this mm-hmm. does not – yeah, and and you're like, why do I want to traumatize myself again? And, right. uh, and that's not what this does. That's not what this does. You you may go back and you may, even if you start off with just sort of a vague, well, I kind of think maybe this is sort of what happened, then going through the EMDR process, you may clarify that memory and you may you may draw out some details that you had forgotten. But the great thing about this is that it's really short. You go in and you look at it and you feel it and you let out some emotion and, you know, there may be tears and I have Kleenex, <laughs> but it's <laughs> And within yes. the course of a single session, you can process through some really deep stuff, but then come back to a place of peace and calm and settledness and it's done. You know, and you may need a few sessions to work on a specific issue, but it but you don't leave the office feeling activated and traumatized. In fact, one of the very first things that we do when we start the EMDR process is we do some visualization on creating a safe, calm place and really sinking into all of the body feelings of being in that place. Um, For a lot of people, that ends up being the beach. (laughs) And so we talk about what does it feel like to have your toes in the sand and to hear the surf and to feel the breeze on your skin. What does it smell like? and What do you hear and see? And really sink into that. And what research has discovered is that through that kind of really deep sensory visualization, your body responds. And your heart rate will reduce, your respiration will slow down, your tension will ease. I mean, it's it's really kind of almost magical, but there is neuroscience to back up why that's working. And so that is where you end a session of EMDR. No matter how activated you might have been 15 minutes ago, we come back to whatever your safe place is, whether it's the forest or the beach or your big comfy sofa cuddling with your dog. That's where we end the session so that I can send people out in the world feeling centered and grounded and comforted and whole. Yeah, I love that approach because I I myself, and before working on this process and still sometimes, feel this way, but I felt so um, so afraid of my emotions, even though mm-hmm. maybe a traumatic situation that had happened had already passed, you know, it's already, you know, it's already gone, it's happened, it's done, but because our bodies remember, they have, a, it's that perfect computer that remembers and holds on to these emotions unless they're processed, um, it can feel so scary to 
actually yeah. dive in there and feel emotion or to cry. It feels like, oh, my gosh, I will die if I cry. And you might have seen <laughs> some of that, or you may see that pretty <laughs> regularly. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, our culture does a really bad job of talking about and teaching about emotions. And we, I think all of us, to some extent, are kind of scared of those feelings, especially when they're so big, whether it's anger or grief or, you know, whatever it is, it can feel like if I open up this, that of feeling, it's going to be so big, it's going to overwhelm me and shoot me into oblivion, which again is irrational, but that's a really real fear. And one of the things clients tell me all the time once we start the EMDR process is they realize that, yes, it's intense, but it's short and you feel so much better. And so what ends up happening is that we alleviate that fearful anticipation and that is also part of the healing process. So you're not fearing the fear anymore. And that's important. Well said. What's your perspective on how our unprocessed emotions affect our bodies? So I know for many people that's a newer concept to wrap their minds around that literally what we feel can actually show up inside of our bodies. What's your perspective? What yeah. have you seen on that? I completely agree with that. And um, more and more, the medical and scientific community is acknowledging that. And you can find now more often um, articles that are written about research where they look at how anger mm -hmm. and sadness affect our immune system, suppress our immune system, and so we tend to be more um, vulnerable to illnesses if we have unresolved anger or grief or resentment. Um, on the other side, the positive side, laughter is shown to improve the immune system, not just because of mm -hmm. the physiology of deep breaths and laughing, but the emotion that it brings with it. So there's that that's a foundation for this. Um, but, you know, we all know if you've had a really bad day and you are you come home at the end of the day and you realize that your shoulders are all really tight and you maybe have a tension headache, that's a really obvious example. But deeper stuff that maybe we're not even really conscious of can also affect things like your digestion. It can affect your blood pressure. It can affect your... Um, your body dynamics and how your body moves depending on what muscles are tense or nerves are pinched because of that. And so there, there's this really intimate tie-in between the emotions that you're carrying around and not processing and the healthy functioning of your body or not, as the case may be. And that's why, partly why in the EMDR process, one of the really important steps is not just acknowledging the emotions, but sitting with, okay, where does that live in your body? What are you noticing in your body about this emotion? And people talk about, well, there's like a heaviness in my chest. There's a tension in my shoulders. Mm -hmm. I notice that my knees or my ankles are really sore for some reason. And it can seem really random, but as we dig into it, we realize that, no, it actually kind of makes sense. 
and people have found that their physical health improves as they work on their emotional wellness. It's so interesting how the body has so much information for us. Um, all of these signals that we're getting from different places, you know, when when we're literally when we're having um, you know heartache or it hurts in our heart, and, and the body's trying to tell us something and trying to give us just information. I think that's so fascinating. And it also, is. just Absolutely. what you were, yeah, and. And, you know, just to comment on what you were saying before, um, how our bodies respond to the truth-based or positive emotions, it is so interesting. It just, to me, it just speaks to how we were wired and designed for um, living a, a vibrant, um, happy life. Like, even our bodies orient towards the, the positive, light, happy, truth-based sort of emotions and they actually heal that way rather than, um, you know, emotions of anger and fear and sadness and, and all of the negative emotions. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the places where there's been some research also is around uh, gratitude practices which speak to this same idea that the more you can be present in that space of being really grateful for the things that you have in your life, even really simple things like soft toilet paper. I know that sounds so silly, mm. but, you know, if I love it. a really hard time, even something totally random like toilet paper or coffee, if I can enjoy those and be really thankful for those, and I am, then I feel better. I can acknowledge that, and and there's research to back that up, both in terms of physiological response and also the um, psychoneurology, how the brain responds and the brain patterns. Yeah, because it's not just what happens to us in our life or what, it's more about what we believe or we perceive, what we're making it mean. So if we're tuned into, you know, that awesome toilet paper or, you know, great coffee or just like feeling the sun on our skin. And that, that, those emotions have a physiological effect on our bodies and kind of shift the whole energy from, from one way of being to another. Yes. And I love what you said about the perception and that plays into the EMDR as well, because part of the reprocessing of those memories is being able to add new information into that closed structure of a single memory and see it in a larger context and change your perspective about what that means to you. So that's an important part of that process as well, the perception. Yes, which um, which I've had personal experience with, and you, when you've worked with me, feeling the the difference in in the reprocessing when you insert safety into a situation where before the the subconscious mind might be feeling um, tension or stress or panic or fear, and um, you bring in safety or a sense of comfort, and it changes the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It does. It does, which is why 
we can do both past and future as well. You can use EMDR to sort of program yourself into a more positive expectation for future events. So, for example, if somebody's afraid of flying, you can use EMDR to sort of do practice runs and process what the beliefs are about that fear, bring in positive thoughts and feelings, and change that so that when you do have to get on the airplane, you're not overwhelmed by emotions. But it's essentially the same kind of process. You're just looking forward instead of looking back. Mm. So great. Okay, so do you have a favorite story or some results that you've seen in using EMDR that you want to share? Oh, there's so many to choose from. (laughs) Um, Really, there are. I mean, they're so amazing. Every client has something about them that just kind of blows my mind. But I'll, I'll speak to one of my own experiences as being on the receiving end of it. Um, I, when I was doing my training for EMDR, we had to work on something, but they didn't want us to work on anything real heavy. And so I thought, well, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not great with getting things done. I'm kind of a procrastinator. I'll, I'll start there. That seems innocuous enough. And what ended up happening, because part of the process is that you allow for very random associations to be made without analyzing them. You just sort of notice what floats to the surface of your mind next and then follow that along. And over several um, processing sessions of that, what I ended up coming back to was a moment in sixth grade when I was in a reading group with five other students and a teacher, and we were reading the story that was about some hunters in a lodge and what I interpreted to be basically a ghost story. And so I answered all the questions as if it was a ghost story. And it turned out it wasn't, that it was really about a young woman who was playing mind games with the hunters, and there really was no ghost. And I completely and totally just missed it and made an F and everything was wrong. And in that moment, what crystallized for me was I am so different from everybody else, and I can't tell them that because it's not going to be safe, and I can't tell my teacher because... In that particular year, I had a teacher that was not very open to me, and I can't go to authority because I'm not going to get help. Mm. Wow. Those are some really deep, powerful beliefs. I had no idea. I mean, I knew that memory was floating around, and I remembered feeling embarrassed and not saying anything, but I had no idea that those beliefs had been crystallized for me in that moment. And it was this watershed. And I cried and I sort of felt these ripples roll out from that realization of, wow, well, if that happens then, then that's why this and this and this and this happens the way they did because of that belief that got crystallized in that moment. 
And mm. I, like I said, I was just blown away. And from that moment, I was completely hook, line, and sinker sold. I was like, man, this works. <laughs> Because once I had that awareness and once I was able to put it in context and see why it happened and how it had affected, then I could start unwinding the knots that had been tied with the string from that event. Mm. And who – I would never have gone there. you know. And what what turns out was the perfection was related to fear of being wrong and fear of being different – and some other things that were tied in. Um, but, yeah, that one memory, just that, really did it for me, convinced me. Um, and so I think that's a really good example, too, of how a seemingly small event, you know, sitting in a reading group with a teacher and five students, no big deal, right? And yet it had this profound effect on my life mm. and my belief about myself and the world. And so mm-hmm. I wonder, as I'm going through the world and talking to people, what beliefs do you have? What are the seemingly simple and consequential things in your life that may have actually created some profound beliefs that are shaping how you live your life? Mm-hmm. So incredible. And I've had some so many similar experiences. We're just so unaware of how those seemingly inconsequential things are shaping our whole reality when mm-hmm. it's actually not the truth of who we are and it's not really the way that we want to live. It's just so familiar. Those beliefs are so familiar that we don't even know that they're there and what life might look like if they weren't there. Because I'm imagining exactly. that um, that you, you, the, from that moment on, you you didn't have some of the same holdbacks or the same issues or same blockages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and when I did bump into something that was uncomfortable, I had much better understanding of why and I could work out. I could get it, work through it. So it, it wasn't this, yeah. I know something's wrong, but I don't have a way of processing it. And now I had data that helped me understand and let it go. It's so great to not only have the understanding of what's going on, but then actual tools like EMDR to be able to process it, to be able to clear it out. Exactly. Exactly. That's fantastic. Well, before we wrap it up, this has just been amazing. Um, How can people find out more about what you do? Well, they are welcome to contact me. My business name is Partners for Change Counseling, and I have a website, partnersforchangecounseling.com, and they can also give me a call at 806-319-5331, and if they want more general information, there's a lot out there, just Google EMDR, and if they have questions, I invite them to get to contact me. Yeah, that is fantastic, and I'll include these in the in the show notes, and um, so that your contact information is in there for anyone who wants to um, dive in and try this. Um, Sarah, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this today. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for asking me. 
Thank you all so much for joining me on this podcast. I'd love to stay in touch with you. So go to identitybasednutrition.com and put in your name and email address and you'll receive two free gifts from me. If you have questions, you can send them into Anna at identitybasednutrition.com and hopefully I can answer them in future podcasts. You can also follow me on Facebook for updates on programs and events, as well as receive tips and recipes and other good stuff. I hope you received the insights you needed today so you can clear away the blockages to find health for your truest self.